Ah, hello. <laughs> it's early morning in the Milkenhead Mansion, and as you can hear, I've stepped out onto the patio to enjoy a large coffee. Unfortunately, it's a bit early in the morning for me to be uh, sucking on a fat Cuban, but I have just gobbled down a delicious Danish. This week, Boo and I got together for yet another episode, and uh, all I can say is it was an experience. So sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to this week's Milking It podcast. I've got the Welcome to the Milking It podcast, the podcast that tugs the teat of popular culture until it explodes all over your face. I'm David Davis. And I am Boo Lamont. <laughs> Welcome to this. It's episode six. Can you imagine? We've caught up with Lucas. We are at the point that he got to with his Star Wars episodes. We're the Colin Baker Doctor Who, number six. Those six dwarves in the Disney film. I don't count Bashful. He was a little cunt. Strap yourself in. Enjoy. It's the Milking It podcast. <laughs> So we're here once again, and uh, we're going to start the show, as we did last week, with uh, some geek news. Boo, uh, there's been a few things happening in the world of the geek this week. Well, Dave, there was a very interesting bit of news that caught my eye. As well documented on the Milking It podcast, uh, I'm a massive fan of, of zombies, uh, the zombie genre in general. And, of course, the number one uh, film for me was George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So obviously George A. Romero is like the godfather of zombies. Well, it was revealed this week that he's actually making a comic book with Marvel uh, entitled Empire of the Dead. Oh, okay. So it's it's a, a comic-based thing that he's doing. It's not expanding further, or do you think it might be something that leads into well, TV? Generally, or? generally with the George A. Romero things, they always end with Of the Dead. So you've got Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead... Uh, in Call of Duty, they had an expansion called Call of the Dead, which actually had George A. Romero running around the level as like an unstoppable uh, bad guy. That was really <laughs> cool. Um, Genius. Interesting side note that you could actually play as uh, um, Buffy, uh, <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, you could play as Danny Trejo, Robert Englund, or the guy from the, uh, the guy who his name passes me by at the moment, but he's mm. in The Walking Dead. Um, but yes, uh, George A. Romero is doing an official comic book with Marvel. Um, I'm hoping that it's not too late because, as I said, George A. Romero is the godfather of the zombie genre. And um, kind of Walking Dead is now kind of the pinnacle, not just in terms of um, the TV series, but the comic book, of course. Mm. So um, is, is, it, is it a bit late? for a proper George A. Romero comic book. Uh, only time will tell, but um, I'm really looking forward to it myself. I'm going to pick up as soon as possible, and uh, I'll give a little review right here on the Milking It podcast. Excellent. I mean, I, I think you're right. The, the, the Walking Dead has influenced so much stuff at the moment, as uh, removing from the, the graphic novels and the comic books. Apologies, I'm a graphic novel guy as opposed to a comic book guy. I'd rather get the collective. But... Um, the, just the style in which they've done those shows has totally influenced. I, I don't know whether you've seen the the latest trailer for uh, Dead Rising Three, the, the one of the launch titles for the Xbox One. I have. It's I have. very interesting. Completely Walking Dead. It's the game that you wish they'd make of Walking Dead in that trailer. You just think that it, that that trailer would not exist if it wasn't for the the sort of style of the Walking Dead at the moment. Um, but the most interesting thing to come out of Dead Rising 3 for me mm. uh, and all the news and tidbits what, while we're on the subject is um, the in Dead Rising 2, uh, one of the, the main gimmick was that you could uh, strap weapons together to, to make better weapons. Well, in yeah. this one, uh, the new gimmick is that they're – sorry, gimmick. The new uh, kind of interesting thing that they're going to be doing is mm. that you're going to be able to combine vehicles – Yes, yeah, that was in the trailer, and and there's there's two versions. I, I was talking to a, a representative of Microsoft, and uh, they were saying there's two versions of the game you can play. There's either the version where you have to go somewhere special to craft these 
particular vehicles and weapons or there's a version where if you've got the stuff there and then you can make those things and just launch straight into it so they've they've obviously listened to that fan feedback of it was really irritating having to find a maintenance closet in the second one every time you just wanted to strap together some nails and a baseball bat i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna probably make myself a, <clears throat> as usual on the milking it podcast i'm gonna make myself a little bit unpopular mm, i love like for me dead rising should be like the greatest game of all time as i've just said you know uh, i'm a big zombie fan of and uh it, the my favorite zombie film dawn of the dead was set in a mall very much like dead rising however as much as I enjoyed running around and doing the weapons thing, I found all the bosses so hard, and I, mm. I, it kind of killed it for me. And like the whole, you, t- you can level up, but you have to die and start again to keep that level up. Completely, yeah. I found that really jarring at times um, because there were points where I just wanted to get through it, and there were points where I was just doing stuff and then dying on purpose. Um, yeah, I, I hit me out of the game. The number a of bit. times I got up to that first big boss. Only to think, right? Well, I might as well start and go back into it, stop and go back into it again, kind of thing, and and just constantly restarting, like you say. You end up to the point where you play those first five or six time missions so many times, it would just it gets to a point where it gets really boring, (laughs) or you know, we we should probably have this discussion, you know, especially as it gets closer to the Xbox One and, and that that coming out. Uh, but no, I, I think the Dead Rising series of games. It was Dead Rising. The first one was the game that convinced me to get an Xbox 360. I saw that running and thought, this looks like the greatest game of all time. I, Dead- I remember when the first one came out. Mm. We only had one mate who had an Xbox 360 and an HD TV because although you could play the game on a regular t- on an old school, you TV, couldn't read the writing. Not- yeah, of the subtitles. <laughs> um, so you, yeah, so we went round to this guy's house and we all, you know, took it in turns and we were finding swords everywhere. And like every time you killed some, you know, a zombie with a different weapon, it had like a different effect. And if you found the scythe and you cut them down like at an angle, and it was like so cool. But um, when it actually came to the bare bones of a game, taken out of that, I just mm. couldn't get on with it as a game. I mean, you stick me on there and say just run around the mall and stab things for an hour, and I'm happy. But um, completely and that's that's where it wins for me still and I, I, I'm, I'm on xbox gold and um, obviously they had it as a, a downloadable game for free the other month um dead rising 2 and i managed to pick it back up again i have no interest in going back through the story but i will quite happily after a hard day at work have a run around a shopping mall for 20 minutes and just destroy as many creatures as I possibly can. Um, It's also the reason why I find shopping malls early in the morning with no one around incredibly scary. (laughs) Try listening to a zombie soundtrack when you're coming into work in the morning when there's all of those people around and then they start banging on the doors before you open as well. The kind of moaning sound is very much like like a zombie film. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I also saw in... uh, when I was looking at geek news this week that uh, obviously last week we had uh, a, a very enthusiastic conversation uh, about uh, the masters of the universe and he-man and uh, I was probably over enthusiastic about it, but it was without a doubt one of the cartoons that shaped my childhood. It's one of the things that, I, that I'll always love. Um, but ever since probably, probably the past 10 years or so, there's been various rumours about them doing a reboot, doing a new film. Um, there's been a, a, an amazing fan-made trailer online, which I think I've mentioned before, but it, it's uh, just wonderful. It's done in a sort of style of 300 and just looks absolutely amazing. And that's the He-Man film I'd like to see. Yeah. However, there has been yet another oh. announcement on the Masters of the Universe front, I believe, this week. Yes, they've uh, they've have they managed to get a screenplay writer in, or have they managed to get a director in? Uh, I believe it's a, it was a screenwriter who had previously worked on. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Terry Rossio was his name. Um, previously worked on The Lone Ranger, which hasn't done amazingly well. But I don't think that's based on the writing. I think it might have more to do with the uh, ridiculous casting and everything else but uh, i haven't seen it so i can't judge obviously uh but he he was also part of the pirates of the caribbean franchise you see that's a good lineage because um i i haven't seen the lone ranger but I, i'm told it's not as bad as people think it is and with the pirates of the yeah. caribbean movies the first two were absolutely brilliant and then uh it kind of petered out a bit you can't 
maintain something like that at, at that level for that long. So, I mean, like, I never managed to get all the way through Pirates of the Caribbean 3, um, and I've been told to avoid the fourth one, like the plague. So yeah, the fourth. I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the, the first three. Honestly, I, I really enjoy the Pirates of the Caribbean, and I'm not a big budget movie fan particularly. You know, they, they bore me if I have to spend too much time like sitting through them, and they are long films. Mm. But Johnny Depp's really good in them, and you know they're just they're just fun films. You end up watching them and thinking, do you know what? If I was a kid, they, oh, I would love this. You know, I'm enjoying it now, but if I was little, and, and you know, it, they're just they're just fun films. So if if they can do something i'm not saying we need to have some wise cracking he-man pretending to be drunk and sounding like a member of the rolling stones i'm just i think if they can bring that sort of humor side to it which obviously the the cartoons had and still have in the, the reboot that they did in the 2000s um if they can bring that to it that's the franchise that you want and you want someone who's worked on a franchise and it it, it gives the hint that they're not looking at a one-shot film and they're not going to put the money and the time into something if they thought it was going to be a one-shot film. It would be great to see. And as much as we've we've knocked reboots in the past, I believe we may have spent some time discussing them. We did. Um, you know, I, I would not balk at the idea of rebooting He-Man and making him something that kids now would like. Dave, they've got the technology now to make it look right. They can do skeletal right, and they can even include that little shit Orco um, and make it look right. So I th- I'm 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 on I'm on board for a, for a Master of the Universe live action movie reboot, um, as long as they don't. Oh, it's so difficult, but as long as they maintain that Pirates of the Caribbean esque, it's a kids film, but there's plenty for adults. Um, Completely. Like plenty. So as long as they manage to toe that line, because if you make it too violent, obviously you you ostracise the kids. If you mm. make it too um, kiddie friendly you ostracize the old fans and the adults so as long as they toe that line then I'm definitely on board for a Master Universe reboot absolutely um, the, the final bit of geek news this week for you guys uh, or milksters as I know uh, Boo is still uh, dedicated in calling it, um, <laughs> is that the uh, tomorrow well as <laughs> tomorrow as we're recording it's going to be tomorrow the first episodic uh, graphic adventure uh, from Telltale Games uh, oh hang on Telltale Games that sounds familiar um, no. Boo anything you'd like to say about Telltale Games as usual, Dave, I'm always the first to, to admit to my own mistakes. And in our excitement of uh, talking about LucasArts last week, we, we did um, mention Telltale Games, um, which I was like, oh, they made the Lego games. Again, I'm giving credit where credit is not due. Uh, although it's still technically a Star Wars LucasArts game, it was not made by uh, Telltale Games. That was Traveller's Tales, ladies and gentlemen. Um, however... If it wasn't for this jolly mistake, we wouldn't have such a great segue into David. Well, Telltale Games, who didn't do the Lego ones, but did do the amazing Walking Dead uh, episodic adventures that were out last year. And they absolutely swept the board in terms of uh, awards in the year polls. If you haven't played them, if you enjoy The Walking Dead, if you like your zombies like Boo does absolutely get hold of it it's available as a hard copy you can also download them they're always on offer on uh, xbox and psn can i just say even if you're not a fan of the walking dead tv series even if you're not a fan of the walking dead uh, comic book series um i've I've got a few friends who uh, they're not they're not into geek culture at all Hmm. um however they played kind of the walking they when The Walking Dead uh, was for free on Xbox Live uh, late last year, yeah, I, I advised everyone to download it because I thought it was fantastic, of course. And I got such good response. Um, it, the game got such a good response from these people who, again, they're not fans of zombies, uh, um, not even really horror fans, but the games, with the, they told such an interesting story that we were all <clears throat> kind of in competition to have you done episode three? Yeah, I've done episode three. Don't tell me what happens. Have you done episode four? Oh, did you see that? No, don't tell me. You know, it was like all mm. of that for a while. So, yeah, totally. Walking Dead um, by Tell Tale Games uh, <laughs> did fantastically. Um, Absolutely. Well, I mean, they, they've um, <clears throat> they've been key in developing the idea of subscription-based episodic gameplay. It, it, they did a wonderful, wonderful series of Monkey Island games, which I should have mentioned 
uh, if, if I didn't, apologies. Uh, I should have mentioned last week when I was talking about LucasArts. They're not directly tied to LucasArts. There's, there's members who worked for LucasArts who then went on to form Telltale Games, which is why they did not only uh, an amazing uh, Monkey Island series, but they also did uh, two uh, massively brilliant series of uh, Sam and Max, which was fully uh, voice acted, fully 3D, just captured the, the humour of that original uh, comic book absolutely brilliantly. However, the thing that I want to talk about with Telltale Games, uh, they've given them enough of a plug. So uh, honestly, check out The Walking Dead because the same graphic style that they used in that, they're also using for their brand new episode called The Wolf Among Us, which is based on Bill Willingham's Fables comic book series. Fables... For me, and I had this conversation online actually with a friend of the show, uh, Dino Peppers, um, is a great comic book series. It's one of those that not everyone knows about, and it tends to be people who know about comics who have read it. It's not one for the casual fan. It's not one you just stumble across because it's never really been a mainstream title. It's never had that Walking Dead fame and everything else. You know, it, it, it is quite a mainstream one. It is amazingly popular. But it's um, the, the concept behind it is that um, fairy tale characters from your childhood are living among us in New York, in fact. Uh, and so all the characters that can shape shift and look human live in uh, downtown Manhattan. Um, I hope I'm getting this right, because if not, I'm going to be very annoyed with myself. Um, uh, so basically anyone who can shapeshift and look human lives in downtown Manhattan anyone who is trapped in the form of an animal like the three little pigs or Mr Toad they have to be upstate in the farm state of New York um, so they won't draw attention to themselves it's absolutely brilliant I've read probably the first seven or eight volumes of it it's gone much further than that and just got to the point where I, I couldn't really afford to keep buying them, but uh, I, I must get back into it. But this is going from the very beginning. This is taking that character, Bigby Wolf, who, would you believe, is the big bad wolf, uh, and throwing him into the same sort of uh, graphic adventure that they did with The Walking Dead. I absolutely cannot wait to play this game. Uh, I will be online first thing in the morning to try and download this and, and give it a go, and I, I promise we'll discuss this more in the next episode of the Milking It podcast. Yeah, you see, on the flip side, Dave, <clears throat> I've never read Fables um so i'm going in purely as a fan of telltale's previous mm. um graphical adventure games so um i'm hopefully hopefully going to be getting a bit of knowledge about fables from the game and uh not long after that i'm sure i'll be getting the comic books or at least a couple of graphic novels so i'm really looking forward to getting involved in uh, in that tomorrow and now this week we join jay hodgkin once again for an x-rated visit to the sticky floor fun emporium Hello, if you can hear me, then I'm probably dead. My name's Jay Hodgkin and I'm trapped in an arcade called the Sticky Floor Fun Emporium. A dungeon of mystery. Hey, you, you, yeah, you, you. Come here. I've got some good stuff in this week's Sticky Floor Emporium, but I keep it under the counter. Do you want to come and have a look? You're not a policeman, are you? This week's Sticky Floor Emporium is something a little bit saucy. Yes, it's a porn game, but it's a little bit creepy too. Allow me to explain. The game in question is Fantasia, which was released in the early 90s. You can tell it's an early 90s game, by some of the characters you can choose. Yes, this is another game that ignores any litigation, choosing to allow you to select your character, who you never see beyond a picture in the corner of the screen, from a variety of strange and unusual suspects. We have Robocop, the Terminator, Saddam Hussein, and uh, Hudson fucking Hawk. Fantasia is a derivative of an old classic 80s game called Kix. Now, if you weren't around in the 80s and therefore have no interest in Garibaldi biscuits, garden centres or carrying your piss round in a bag strapped to your waist, you're probably going to need to be explained what Kix involves. Basically, what you do is you capture areas of the screen using a pen, uh, moving ultra-cautiously to avoid being snared by various pen-hating creepy crawlies. 
I think this is uh, almost a, a realistic simulator because I've never seen a bee use a pen. In kicks, you have a black screen and you have to draw squares on that screen that will then fill with colour. The creepy crawlies are unable to move into that coloured area and therefore they get shrunk into a, the smaller air, black area of the screen and uh, therefore become more dangerous as a result. Fantasia is very different in the fact that you have to start with a black screen and then uncover an image underneath. Now, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. The images you uncover in Fantasia are of girls. Yes, girls with very few clothes on. Now, uh, while this sounds all innocent fun, and yes, you don't get to see any JJs or anything, it gets a little bit darker because the girls in question all look quite young. Some of the girls on here look so disgustingly womb-fresh it wouldn't surprise me to see if their umbilical cord was still hanging out of their mother. Put it like this, I would imagine that if you showed a 70s TV presenter for the BBC an arcade, I think this would be the one they picked out to play. Yeah. And it does play like a very poor version of Kicks 2. Um, the screen area is very small, the pen is quite big, making it very hard to do the precise movements required to... Um, uncover the young ladies in question. The game is so frustratingly difficult at times, it might actually just be easier to get a dodgy hard drive, take yourself into the police station, and just get bummed in prison for being a nonce. I would avoid it um, for more than one reason. Uh, I think it's a terrible game. It's um, not particularly original. Uh, there's so much illegality going on in this game, it's untrue. And... Uh, Watch out for Operation U-Tree. One fag burn out of five. Right. I'd better go and uh, get in the shower for a while. Rock backwards and forwards. God. Oh, did I mention Michael Jackson is a playable character too? That's apropos to nothing though. Bye! In May this year, I was fortunate enough to take part in a bit of uh, market testing and um, for a, a mysterious game that I, when I first came into the building, I had not heard of. Obviously, I'd heard of its predecessor, and I've not been able to talk about this game legally until now um, because I was very fortunate enough this year to have... Uh, I think I was an alpha tester, I believe was the, was the phrase it might have been. Um, but I was lucky enough to be one of the first people in the world to play Beyond Two Souls, uh, which is the sequel to Heavy Rain. It's Quantic Dream's follow-up to their smash hit success, uh, Heavy Rain. And um, it, it's, uh, it was an intense week. It was really interesting to be part of that process and, and to be able to see something... Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, make suggestions about something that um, the public wouldn't see for, like, another five months. And, um, like, it's now been released, Dave, to mixed reviews. Yeah, it was um, it was one of those things, because obviously I, I knew, because we surreptitiously exchanged glances over a crowded room, um, about the fact that it might have been that title that you'd, you'd uh, had the opportunity of to course, play le test. Of course, legally, I would never have told you the title. Because no, I'd absolutely. And the only reason... With Sony. Yeah, completely. And the only reason I put two and two together, and it's nice for you to confirm it now, is that you'd mentioned, uh, I think that you'd be working, and, and there'd been rumours, and you just said it was one of the most, most immersive things you'd ever got involved with and everything else. And then I, in my capacity for the job I do, um, selling things that people stick into Xboxes and Playstations, um, had seen some of the, the trailers and bits and pieces coming out of E3 about it and the, the rumours and stuff. And then there was footage shown to managers at a conference and this, that and the other. And people started really buzzing about it. It was, you know, because I was a big, mm. big fan of Heavy Rain, a huge fan. I really enjoyed it. I would say I only ever played it once. I wasn't interested in playing it again because it was that kind of thing. It had that same feel as, right, I've seen that film now. I don't really want to sit through the film again. Totally, and uh, that's. I actually did say that um, once the week was up of games te of testing the game, they filmed us um, talking about that. It was a group, obviously, it was a group thing. Uh, they filmed us talking about it, and that was one of the things that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, I liked Heavy Rain enough to play it through once. I wasn't interested in seeing the alternative endings. I knew that there was loads of different endings. Mm. Um, however, when I came across 
Beyond Two Souls for the first time, when it was in front of me, um, I knew it, that for me it was going to be something special. And I'm now, uh, again, I've had this on my chest for so long. And like this is officially, just for you guys and Dave, at the Milk and It podcast, this is the, literally the first time I've been able to talk about it. So um, I've got a lot to talk about. First of all, I just want to say that the, uh, the reviews, I think a lot of them... Of course, um, people are going to think I'm biased. I think a lot of the reviews were unfair. Um, they gave it a very low mark because they said it was a very passive game. Um, it's not that passive. I felt involved a lot. Um, but, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Dave, have you tried the demo? The demo is available now. It's, um, and, and well, the game will be available by the time this is put out in public. Mm. Uh, the demo's been available for a little while. Did you, did you get to check out the demo at all? I, I did. I, I pre-ordered at a, a, a very popular game establishment and uh, got an early access, in fact, to the demo um, as a result of, of putting that pre-order down because I, I was keen to experience it. It's, it looks like my kind of game. That's full stop from everything that I'd seen about it. Uh, downloaded it and was absolutely blown away. I thought that the, the two, maybe three scenarios they present you in the demo were interesting. Once you got to grips with it, because the, the good thing was they didn't try and over-explain what was going to happen. You had to kind of play with it to find out, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I can, I can control this and I can do this with that and oh that means this and uh, you know and yes it did feel uh at, at moments a little bit passive but only in the extent that it, there were a couple of sort of quick time event things that happened where it was it all went a bit dragon's lair but ultimately they were still rewarding because it led you to the next bit of the story and the characters were so rich and the acting was so good and i i wonder whether the uh and uh, you you might touch on this in a second but when you're talking about your your side of it but for me uh, reading those reviews i know what it's like having done reviews and done critical analysis of film studies and this that and the other when i was at university or uh, and, and since as a, as a observer of that kind of stuff um Sometimes if you know you're in a room and you're watching a film or a TV show or you're playing a game and you're there to review it, your experience of it, and I would say that for Boo, it would be the same thing if he watched a wrestling match. Your experience of it is different to someone who is coming to that game for an immersive experience or coming to that match for an immersive experience or coming to that TV show to get involved and get with those characters and not be judging it in terms of wanting to review it for uh, the outside public a critical analysis of a game is not in my opinion a review a, a review of something should be as close to the natural experience of playing it as possible and i wonder whether that is something that's got in the way of people enjoying this and many other games in the past because they're looking at it through that sort of critical analysis totally um yeah, it was weird going in because obviously initially we went in not knowing you're not told what, what you're going to be doing, of course. And oh. then uh, we kind of went in and it was presented to us and it was just um, uh, because I didn't really all I was doing was like, it was a job to play all the way through. Right. But, but you know, and that's how I could have viewed it had the game been bad. But it, it was an ex it was a fantastic experience. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the game. Just, I think I need to give a little background to people that don't know Beyond Two Souls. As as me and Dave have obviously pointed out, it's a very cinematic game. It's mm -hmm. about a, it's about a woman, well, a girl. You start off as a girl, but obviously you grow into a woman uh, called Jodie, and she has this entity attached to her, uh, which she refers to as Aiden or Aiden, as it's said in the game. You can control both Jodie and Aiden. Um, Aiden is like, I'm, I'm obviously this is going to be a spoiler-free thing because I want people to go and enjoy it. Um, Iden is like a ghost, um, and you can move things, and you can you're a polter you're basically like a, a poltergeist which you can control. Um, and uh, Jody, uh, you know, she because she ends up working for the, you know an, uh, a government agency, and it's just it's real. Uh, it, there's so much to it that we, I can't, you know, there it's it, it's a very deep, involving story. And by the end of it, you you actually and this is going to sound weird, but you care for the characters. Um, an example I give is today I actually downloaded the demo and it's the first time I've been able to have physical, you know, play the game um, since I left mm. um, working at, to, to, to test it. And uh, I saw one of the characters and I felt genuine warmth. I was like, oh, there's Cole, my man. Like, oh, <clears throat> you know, like... <laughs> 
you know, I actually smiled because I'm, I like these characters. And as Dave said, it's in, it's so incredibly well acted. The motion capture is like nothing you've seen before. The emotions on the face. I mean, it really is an experience. I mean, it's not going to be compared with, with the GTA 5s of the world because it mm. it's not that kind of game. It should be up there in a kind of game of the year slot. And again, I'm not being biased. You know, it's a kind of biased thing. But like I just – it's so, you just say – you get so emotionally attached to the characters. The story is fantastic. I think it's got the right level of of movement and control. There are action sequences. There's you know there's so much going for it. And the thing that pisses me off about the reviews is all of the reviews for Heavy Rain were like you know eight nine out of ten. Mm. They gave all these high reviews. Well, Beyond Two Souls is just a continuation of that. It just takes Heavy Rain and it takes the the mechanic and it just takes it to the next level. So why? You know, are people getting more involved? The, the story is better than Heavy Rain. The characters are better than Heavy Rain, and Heavy Rain was a good game. Heavy Rain was amazing. I, I, I absolutely thoroughly probably the last great game I played on the PS3. But I mean, if given the opportunity again, I would. De- I, I'm really looking forward to going through it again. Um, when I was there, um, I did get to see the the, the ending. Mm. Um, you know, I did play it to completion. And I had an opportunity to, to go through the last couple of bits again while I was there. It was just um, the, the, the testing was a great experience, but I came out of it really hoping that the people would latch onto this game. And I've got to say I'm disappointed by the by the reaction so far. Um, it's maybe the the only game I'll ever get to like have a have an active role in. I've worked in games retail for a long time in mm-hmm. um, you know in my life, and it, I really enjoyed being part of the process. And I would definitely do it again, but um, I'm, again, I, I didn't realise I'd become so attached to the project. Um, but I highly recommend either da- download the demo if you like it, grab the game. If you don't have an opportunity to play the demo, grab the game anyway because it's a really involving and rich experience. And I highly recommend it to everyone that listens to the Milking It podcast. You wanna milk it and you know. Dave, it, it's only burned. Yep, certainly is, Blue. Uh, decided to uh, destroy my Walking Dead. Those were blows. The only additions of were blows. What are you doing, man? No, no. Robert Kirkman means nothing to me now, my friend. What? Yep. Uh, that's it. Wait, what are you? What are you burning? What is that you're putting on there? That's a Batman Incorporated. It's Grant Morrison. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry. Why are you doing this, Dave? That's what, literally, trust me, this is the warmest I've ever been in my entire fucking life. Just, hang on a second. Just pass me that Alan Moore Watchman. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's issue one. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Don't do that, Dave. Alan Moore will come for us. There we go. It's fine. Seriously, man. I, I have completely gone down the wrong path, my friend, because I didn't realise that my life was based on the idea that comic books were cool. But yes, they are cool, boo. And you know what's cool? 8o'clockcomics.com Because all these other comic books, honestly, I have been wiping my arse with pages from The Killing Joke. Because that's what was in my comic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have literally been scraping the shit from inside the curvaceous moments of my arsehole with pages from that comic book because I am a massive fan of 8 o'clock comics. I've seen what they do and compared it to what, to what I was into and, ah, oh, I've seen the light, boo. I've seen the light. You know what, Dave? After reading The Devil Dolls, I think you're right. 8oClockComics.com is definitely the way to go. Okay, uh, this week saw uh, another wrestling pay-per-view, which, uh, okay, let, let, let me just explain what Boo and I have agreed in terms of the Milking It podcast and deep discussion of wrestling. Um, we realised that not all of you are massive wrestling fans uh, like what we are. I will subject you to Batman every week if necessary. However, I shall not subject you to wrestling every week. Uh, that's pretty much what we agreed, yeah? Yes, that's fair. Okay, so in terms of the pay-per-views, 
Uh, if it's a minor pay-per-view, because they do a pay- if you're not a wrestling fan, they do a pay-per-view every month. Can you imagine someone every month being bold enough to say, give me £30? Well, Vince McMahon does that. <laughs> and frankly, he needs a kick in the balls because he does not deserve 30 quid every Dave, month. Dave, it's a kick in the grapefruit. Oh, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, essentially, if, if you're a fan of wrestling, then people are knocking on your door every month to say, yeah, uh, give us this and you can see how this ends. <laughs> and then sometimes, like this week, it didn't end. And you get annoyed because you've paid your money, or actually you haven't because it was on free on Sky Sports. But I have paid my money. I subscribe to Sky. Anyway, so, um, yeah, the way we're going to do it is uh, we're not going to talk about the minor pay-per-views more than, like we're going to do tonight, just a couple of lines and say what happened and uh, just say, this was good, this was bad. Why are they doing this? Uh, But we will discuss the main, uh, did we say the main four? Uh, we said we discussed the uh, the main four, which uh, traditionally for the wrestling public is the uh, the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Survivor the, Series being the, the sort of uh, ginger-headed stepchild of wrestling at the moment because it's not been a good pay-per-view for several years. Um, so uh, very, very quickly, I'm going to talk about uh, Battleground because... I was lucky enough, uh, as you know, I've moved into my Dave cave and uh, I have the luxury of Sky TV again for the first time in a long time. Um, I'd say a luxury, but it means that I'm subjected to things like Battleground because Battleground was a a free pay-per-view for the UK uh, this time round. And literally, I can run down, like Boo said, he's only aware of one match because there was only one match on the entire card that was worth shouting about. Let's talk about the the, the bad first, okay? Uh, very, very quickly, Alberto de Rio defeated Rob Van Dam. No one in the history of the world ever believed it would be anything different. Why the hell Rob Van Dam is still put in the title picture i don't know um the real americans defeated uh, santina morello and the great carly the only reason that seemed to even happen was just so cesaro could do the giant swing on the great carly uh, uh, just to impress the crowd it wouldn't have been so insulting but then they did the same match the next night on raw exactly the same match just so they could have it on free tv so they could then show it again and again and again uh, Curtis Axel, who is the least over person I have ever seen in my life with the biggest push uh, alongside Paul Heyman, defeated uh, R-Truth, which was, again, just one of the meh matches of the night. It's a shame because considering Curtis Axel has the Intercontinental Championship, that should be a bigger deal. But R-Truth, I, I love him to bits. He's amazing and He's been around a long time. He's one of those kind of solid guys that you you can normally rely on. But unfortunately, didn't do a lot for me in that match. Um, AJ Lee was defeated. Sorry, AJ Lee defeated Brie Bella in a match which was entirely set up to go along with a Total Divas program. Um, I'll ignore the one that was good. Bray Wyatt defeated Kofi Kingston I completely agree with some uh, review I read the other day where they said why in the hell is Bray Wyatt wrestling when he's supposed to be this charismatic leader with two followers surely the only reason you have followers is the followers do the wrestling it's to do your bidding completely right Raven would not wrestle the flock would wrestle (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree with that. The only cool thing about that whole match, and if you get a chance to watch it on YouTube, boo, because I know you haven't, you, you can't have seen that match with Kofi no, Kingston. I, Bray I, Wyatt. Didn't, I didn't see. There Bray is Wyatt. a great moment at the end when Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt, sorry, does the uh, backwards spider walk from The Exorcist, which is freaky as fuck, and is one of the greatest moments in wrestling I've ever seen. The match was the pits, but that particular moment, completely. CM Punk defeated Ryback in a match, and I don't really say this very often, CM Punk had a bad match. CM Punk went into that match and thought, in my opinion, and again, I am a wrestling fan, I have nothing to do with the wrestling business, so this is just me sounding off. CM Punk defeated Ryback in a match where he went into it thinking, I am going to get a good wrestling match out of Ryback. 
he went into it with the Shawn Michaels mentality of, I can get a good match out of anyone. No, you can get a good match out of anyone if you play to their strengths rather than trying to wrestle a guy who is a power wrestler. You, you wouldn't have gone in there with Batista and tried to do that sort of match. You wouldn't have gone in there with Goldberg and tried to do that sort of match. So don't do, try and do it with Ryback. He oh, he tried every wrestling move he could. It's like, if he can't counter you other than doing a clothesline, stop doing that. <laughs> Anyway, I know nothing. As I say, CM Punk, he's a legend. Me, I know nothing about wrestling, but that was my opinion watching it as a, a, a wrestling fan. Daniel Bryan versus Randy Orton was the main event. And oh, what a main event. It's Daniel Bryan. A man could not be more over with that crowd. And Randy Orton could not be more hated. It was a perfect match, but it wasn't. It was rubbish. Daniel Bryan worked his ass off. Randy Orton just phoned it in. And then the ending was non-conclusive they've got this idea for right we've got a vacant championship the whole point that you pay money to watch a pay-per-view with a vacant championship in the main event is that someone's going to be crowned the champion not with the wwe no they're going to give you a 25 minute main event where no one gets crowned for the wwe championship and the ending leaves you thinking oh oh shit i've got a two into raw I'm sorry, if I'd have paid for that, if I was any member of the public around the world who had to pay for that pay-per-view and I got to the ending where a Big Show came out and knocked both people down and they awkwardly played the music while Big Show stood there going, yeah, I know they fucking ripped you off as well. I would, Honestly, I would be emailing, I'd be phoning my cable company asking for a refund. Luckily for me, it was part of the subscription I've got, so I didn't feel too ripped off because I got one good match out of that. And honestly, for my money, it made it worth it. It was Goldust, Cody Rhodes, with Dusty Rhodes on the outside. It was the it was the Runnels, basically. They defeated the Shield. So we got the Shield defeated on pay-per-view, and Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose on the outside, but Seth Rollins sold his ass off. Roman Reigns works like a big man who looks like he hurts. David, you. David, set the scene. What did the Rhodes family come out to? The Rhodes family came out to the American Dreams. Amazing entrance music. Working hard, eating ham. As, <laughs> as I hear every time. He's just a common man. Yeah, that cowbell just... I, there were More goosebumps on goosebumps, baby. Me too. That's why that's why I made the effort to track that match down as it soon as possible. Absolutely amazing. Goldust was painted, and, and for those of you who don't know, if I haven't mentioned this already, but Goldust is is one of my favourite wrestlers. 1995 wrestling was awful. He was one of the main characters that kept me watching because his stuff with Razor Ramon, that homophobic gimmick. Then when he teamed up, obviously, with Terry when she came in as his manager. Uh, For me, just a perfect character. Had that Rocky Horror element. Just wonderful. And and he worked his ass off. So him, Cody Rhodes, Dusty on the outside, the shield working their ass off. There was a genuine feeling of uh, something at risk. You know, they're never going to work again. And... uh, legitimately you could have looked at that match and thought the shield can't lose tonight they genuinely can't lose because it's the shield they've got the championship belts on them they look like you know they're hardcore they know what they're doing but they work their asses off even dean ambrose on the outside just perfect he had that rowdy ruddy piper look i know people compare him to him so many times but he just had that that way of working that just absolutely gelled. And when Dusty threw that elbow at the end, I popped like a six-year-old child. I was so happy. So that match, great. But that's one out of eight. When he wasn't saving the world in Independence Day, Bill Paxton was dicking around with a cyborg. Well, here's his background bollocks. Grab them and ask him to cough. Hello children, come in, come in, sit down, sit down. You're here for your latest lesson in backstory bollocks, aren't you? 
Um, so let's put on the Wellingtons of Curiosity and stride into the reign of lies. We may find a puddle of fabrication which we can plunge our foot into and have it all covered in film backstory. So who comes under the microscope today, then? Well, I think it's going to be Bill Paxton's character from the Terminator film. I know this because I'm making this up right at the moment, so therefore I know exactly what's happening. Before the Terminator relieved Paxton of his boots, clothes, motorcycle, and no doubt the happy and long-lasting marriage that Bill's jaw had with the Paxton face for his entire lifespan, the Bill Paxton punk character must have led a life somewhere, surely. He couldn't have just have been a leather-clad spectre. Woo! Bill's punk character, let's just call him Bill for short, was in many, many punk bands before he met his untimely demise at the hands of the mechanoid from the future. Some of those punk bands I shall now list. Ostrich Molest, Blown Grandad, Fuzz Dripper, Low Paid Hand Pump, Corn the Gophers Prolapse, Newt Bastard, Virgil's Microwave Lasagna Tongue Jeweler Rump Invader Colostomy Wreck Impolite Rapist Unicorn Cheek Undulating Gimp Sonic and the Keep Holding Lefts Castle Reach Round David Dickinson's Real Deal and The Compliant for JJ's So why so many bands, Bill? That's quite a lot. Well, he was an arrogant soul and demanded that in each set, with every band, at every gig, he be allowed to do his version of Cliff Richard's Wired for Sound. Not just a punk version, an actual, exact replay of Cliff Richard's Wired for Sound, with him doing the vocals. And by him, I don't mean Bill, I mean Cliff himself. He would fly Cliff Richard over to perform on stage. As you might expect... The other punk members weren't a big fan of Cliff's work. The only other punk that liked Cliff Richard, after all, was Vivian from The Young Ones. And he wasn't even real. Not that I'm saying Bill Paxton's real. He's real. His character's not. Oh, bloody hell, this is confusing. But it wasn't just Bill's love of Cliff Richard that got him into trouble with bands. He also made some unusual demands for backstage treats. Why, he once asked for four and twenty blackbirds to be placed in a pie... Now, the forum in Tunbridge Wells just can't handle that sort of thing. Silly old Bill. Of course, it was beyond most venues to create such a weird dish. Only the Hex Tex Mex Kex Bar and Grill managed to retain the exact temperature that baked the pie while keeping the birds alive. However, he walked out of there without even trying the disturbing dish, after noting that the middle-aged waitress that served him had uneven nipples. He even told her, too, because our Bill was as offensive as a man-sized anthropomorphic cat striding through Battersea Dog's home in a three-piece suit made from roughly hewn-together faces from 25 Labradors, armed with just a wry grin and a placard that says, You're next. That is pretty offensive. At least he got that punk sensibility right, eh? Well, that's it for today. I've had enough of talking about Bill Paxton and his bloody punk character. Goodbye! Okay, so um, the conversation that we had uh, about He-Man kind of started me thinking uh, generally about sort of the TV that I watched that influenced me when I was growing up. Because obviously for me, uh, it was He-Man. And then later, obviously, uh, as I got into my teens, it was Batman. Um, and now it's still Batman. Uh, <laughs> and after I received the comic book I did today, it's also still He-Man. Um, but but there were other things, obviously, that came along. And those shows were presented on a Saturday morning. That was the tradition in the UK, um, especially during the time that I grew up. And Boo and I were not that far apart in terms of age. Uh, so we probably, I'm probably insulting him by saying that, but uh, we're probably going to remember sort of the same thing. So what I thought I'd do is a, a very quick sort of walk down memory lane. I say very quick. This could go for hours. Um, a very quick walk down memory lane. And then uh, Boo's got a big old list of cartoons that we're just going to have a bit of a chit chat about some of them that we remember and, 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 and point you in the right direction of things that you definitely need to see and definitely need to avoid. avoid. Yeah, this could go on for a while, Dave. I, uh, I spent a lot of my youth watching Saturday morning, uh, television. Um, not just the cartoons. Obviously you had the, uh, the main programs that were on 
for kids on a Saturday morning in the UK. So um, for any international fans, you might not uh, have heard of any of these, but you certainly would have heard of the cartoons that went with them. Completely. And, and uh, originally we'd spoken about the idea of doing a top five cartoons or this, that, like we've done with the other sort of top fives. I have never found a list harder to narrow down to five than my top five cartoons from my childhood, ignoring He-Man and Batman. I, I, I've done it. I don't know whether I agree with it, but we, we might get to that later. It might be in, in future weeks. However, all I'd say is anyone who's liked us on Twitter, that's at TeetTugger, anyone who's followed us on Facebook, that's forward slash milking it. Please get on board with this. We're going to start up uh, a little thing. I'm going to post it tomorrow is for you to put on there your list of the top five cartoons you remember from your youth. I'd love to have this discussion. Um, if they're good, we'll bring you on. If if they're bad, we'll discuss them and uh, and put you down. I'm joking. We won't put you down. No, to- totally. People get involved because we want to hear your top fives. We love. We'd love to talk about them. We'd love you to get involved because this is going to be an interesting discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, completely. So, okay. So, for my childhood, I am taking the years, and again, this is going to age me. Um, 1982, when I would have been two till 1995 when i would have been 15 so for me once i got past 15 there was other stuff namely totty taking up my uh, <laughs> my saturday morning i wish as if, as if i was that kind of player uh, in 1995 i was probably still watching professional wrestling on vhs in a uh, shell suit in a <laughs> I, I didn't do shell suit. I did double denim though, which was oh, jeans, a, jean jacket, and jean shirt. Yeah, there was uh, not necessarily a jean shirt, but definitely a denim shirt over um, a very baggy t-shirt involving probably something very nineties, like a jelly baby or a smiley hyper- face. Was it global hypercolor? It was because I, if I sweat, I want people to know about it. <laughs> it changes color. <laughs> You're sweating out. It suddenly becomes a brown T-shirt. <laughs> the worst was global hypercolor jeans. I remember BHS selling those. I just thought, why would you want people to? You got this yellow crotch and a blue jean. That's never a good look. All my a lot of my trousers back then had yellow crotches. So, <laughs> so okay. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday morning TV program. So, so the first one I'll mention, uh, I don't know whether you remember, and uh, obviously Bill will chip in with bits and pieces, though, but this is kind of me leading him, <laughs> leading him down the primrose path, um, is number 73. So number 73, I don't know whether Bill will ever even remember, it was it, it ran from 1982 to 1988, because I've done a bit of research on this over the past few uh, days. Because it, it it just it's one of those uh, sort of YouTube or Wikipedia rabbit hole moments where you end up just spending two or three hours looking at stuff. So number seventy three was eighty two to eighty eight. Um, it was basically the idea of uh, it was just a house with different characters in it. Um, but the the main people who were in there was or the people that stand out now looking back on it was uh, Neil Buchanan, as in Art Attacks. It's an, it's an artifact. Completely. Uh, Sandy Toxvik. I remember. As in they, popular this, lesbian. Now, was there a, there a very bright red door on number 73? There certainly was, yes. With a big, would you believe, yellow 73. Very Hulkamania. Um, um, this will age me slightly, but um, I was born in 82. But I do distinct... I, I've got a memory of Sandy Toxvik in, in a house with a red door. So, you know, she, she was there till 88. So you know, that, that would make sense that maybe that you, you didn't catch the, the, the final episodes of, of that particular show. What I would say is one of the other people who was in that particular show relevant now was Andrea Arnold, who is she was there as a skitty presenter of a kids TV show. Number 73. She's now gone on to win Oscars for directing the brilliant Red Road fish tank. And of course, she was the director of Wuthering Heights, the latest adaptation, which got amazing critical reviews, BAFTA nominations and everything else absolutely amazing that she was even involved at that stage in something like number 73 but it it kind of set the formula it followed on from Tiswas and Saturday Superstore and that kind of thing which I never even knew about obviously because I was far too young but that that was my first memory the reason I remember it was because 
um, it, as I was growing up, obviously Transformers was a big deal. Uh, and the a huge deal, Dave. Yeah, well, maybe for you. It was, it was a big deal. Transform. It was a big deal for me. I love Transformers. Okay, well, number seventy three didn't have the Transformers. It had the GoBots. Ooh, not not a pale imitation for the Transformers, unfortunately. Absolutely, unfortunately, that that was the. Uh, well, we'll get to a a, a, a relevant uh, comparison later on that uh, that comes up. But uh, yeah, so the GoBots ended up on seventy three, and uh, Transformers was unfortunately not involved. And that's that, but that's the reason I remember it. So number seventy three ended, um, or it came to an end after quite a long run, especially when you compare it to some of the stuff that comes up a little later on when we're talking about this so they they went through eight series between then so it was yeah 82 to 88 so they did they did eight series and then it came to an end they decided that no we're not going to do that it, it doesn't make sense um we're going to change it up and do something completely different and then they went to the idea of um doing seasons for the shows on a saturday morning so you'd get sort of uh, three or four months of this show and then three or four months of the next show and they sort of alternate between them so it kept it interesting and everything else but it was still that idea of stupid comedy skits uh, silly competitions that whole wackaday idea of um, well we're going to do yeah these ridiculous things uh, but we're going to give away prizes and you know which were always rubbish they were always board games weren't they, at the end of the day um but then we'll also uh, then switch it up and we'll have these cartoons, which is that's going to be the main draw. And then they just sort of built this rubbish around it, which looking back on it was rubbish. But then at the time actually seemed quite good, which is why when that moved, the main one I remember growing up was uh, a TV show which actually didn't last that long. I don't know whether you remember it, but it was called Get Fresh. Not only do I remember Get Fresh, Dave, but I've got written down here from my memories uh gilbert the alien yes absolutely uh, voiced by phil cornwell who is uh, still doing stuff he was in stellar street if anyone ever watched Stella street again in uh, future episodes i'm sure we'll do our favorite comedy series that didn't do too well uh but stellar street was one of them phil cornwell did that but he's also in the alan partridge movie he did all the alan partridge series he was the uh rival dj um, on Radio Norfolk and, and then digital. Um, Phil Cornwell, amazing as Gilbert the Alien. I also remember uh, patiently waiting each week to catch the latest episode of the Centurions cartoon. Mm. Power Extreme, my friend. Power Extreme! <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I'm sure... Um, oh, let me get this right. Get Fresh had a Sunday morning show. I think it was one of the first ones that they did Saturday and Sunday. So they did a pre-recorded Sunday show, um, which had, if I'm Teddy Ruxpin, um, I'm sure Get Fresh for me was the Gummy Bears because I remember that sort of time the Gummy Bears, gummy were, Bears. were really big. So yeah, so Teddy Ruxpin, Gummy Bears, probably not the first time I've had a Sunday morning with like heavy influence of bears in my life but um as far as i remember that was the first sort of time they did that that idea of doing a separate show and everything else but it was it was a live show on a saturday it was that sort of uh, that weird thing of gilbert the alien if no one if you don't remember gilbert the alien he was a he was a a, a character designed by uh, a, a, he has to have been designed by the spitting image guys because he had that look um, but he had snot that just dribbled constantly down his face. I remember there was a C64 game out of him that I was not allowed to buy because my parents hated the idea of Gilbert the Alien. He was green. He had a mohawk. He had these big sticky out ears and he was, re- he was just repulsive and just... Was he meant to be almost like an alien, like caricature of a punk? Yeah, pretty much. He was that kind of outsider thing because uh, Gaz Top was the presenter. Uh, Gary I remember Jones, who, who later went on to do um, How To. How To, that, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I'm sure he still does stuff now, but uh, it, I'll always know him as Gaz Top. But yeah, for me, Get Fresh, considering it only ran for two years, is probably the most influential thing that I, I remember watching 
in terms of a, a Saturday morning TV show. But but that was followed. That was fo- <laughs> followed by the show that we yes, of course, we've mentioned yet again uh, on this this podcast, which was Ghost Train. I remember mm. with Nobby the Sheep. Ooh, ah. completely. The, so the concept, because uh, I didn't even know what the concept was. I was, I was just. I remember Ghost Train as this weird program that was on in the mornings, and uh, we'll get to this in a second. But the real Ghostbusters was was on. Uh, yeah, I um, Yeah. So the, the whole concept was there, there was this girl who had inter- inherited a ghost train from a from an uncle or something, and then. Her mates are trying to escape with her because there's this character called Barry Mafia and just rubbish, absolute rubbish. We're we're up there with why don't you levels of rubbish acting and just drama school shite. Nobby the Sheep was the character that kept you watching. I, I believe he had a spin-off. I believe he also ended up hosting uh, CITV at some point. Say again, sorry. Hey. Hey. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you said something. No, no. Okay, sorry. sorry. <coughs> Where were we? Nobby the sheep, and he en- ended on CITV. I, I'm sure he presented CITV at some point, and uh, I can't remember for the life of me. And I, I, I should have YouTube this. Was he Scouse or was he Welsh? Oh no, I don't remember. I don't I'm. Remember. I'm was Welsh, possibly, but he, he had a le- he had a leather jacket, uh, a Mohican, and oh, for fuck's sake, he, he looked bloody brilliant. <laughs> so, so Nobby the Sheep was the reason to watch. He, he was funny. I remember him being a little bit strange and, uh, and and kooky and everything else. And again, they did that thing of doing the Saturday morning thing and the Sunday morning thing. So the Sunday morning show was Ghost Train on Sunday, and then they did that uh, from sort of 1990 onwards and. And that was the show that they did uh, the pre-recorded competitions on and everything else. And Sandy Toxvic obviously came on, not obviously, but she was on there now and again. And she was the biggest thing in terms of uh, what I remember her doing was doing Ghost Train. However, the biggest reason I remember Ghost Train was one of my top five that I did come up with uh, cartoons of my childhood that wasn't He-Man or Batman. And that was the real Ghostbusters. Totally. Um, I used to love the Ghostbusters animated series. Um, I was lucky enough, uh, well, not last year, it was a couple of years ago. Was it the uh, 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary? Um, They released a Blu-ray and uh, at the mm. same time, they released the animated series on DVD for the first time in its entirety. I managed to grab a copy of the animated series on DVD and relive the uh, the uh, cartoon through my youth, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Completely. I mean, for me, and I know I don't think we'd have this discussion, but for me, the Ghostbusters is probably the most important film for me growing up, and. The real Ghostbusters, although it, it was a slightly skewed version of that film, I'd, I'd watched the cartoon before I saw the film. So uh, it was just, it was just one. Of, <laughs> like if you look at, uh, if you look back at it now, it's probably not the greatest cartoon ever. No, you know, it's not held up too badly. I do have a couple of interesting factoids about the real Ghostbusters day. Yeah, um, and, and a couple of little interesting things. Um, the voice of Winston Zedmore was actually played by Arsenio Hall, who was obviously with it, uh, mm. in uh, Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, and he was obviously famous for having his own chat show in America at one point. Yeah, yeah. And um, just a weird little geek paradox that I, uh, I, I figured. Um, the voice of Peter Venkman, who in the film was played by Bill Murray, was done by the gentleman who voiced Garfield. Garfield, yes. Then in the live action Garfield movie, who should play, uh, who should be voicing Garfield and taking this guy's job? But good old Bill Murray. So a bit of a geek paradox there for you, uh, for the real Ghostbusters. Very strange. But again, it was a filmation cartoon, so it was the same guys who had done, um, he-Man and they, they were very used to doing that sort of 
that big budget uh, what not even big budget but in terms of like right we've got toys out we've got bed sheets out we've got i remember my brother having a a single bed cover of this massive uh real ghostbusters uh, picture which was the the sort of guys in ecto one slimer behind them stay puffed above some massive building or all coming down i remember that being really cool at the time but uh, as far as i remember it wasn't really tied to the film too much it was it, they'd let them do their own thing there was a, a spin-off marvel comic which i still have many many uh i actually still have an annual of that wow okay <clears throat> i just remember uh yeah the uh <laughs> i remember that every week they used to have like a, a slimer cartoon on the I back was about page. To mention, I was about to mention this. It was towards the end, actually. Mm. They would have um, these individual slimer things and it actually spun off into its own series, which was like Slimer and Friends. Yes, yeah. But there was also, like, every time they'd have the Tobin Spirit Guide, like individual pages of a particular uh, character. Tobin Spirit Guide is, is mentioned in the first film very, very briefly by Egon. Um, as a, a sort of reference guide, and yeah, they did. They managed to spin that out into a whole thing. I, I look at it now and what they're doing with the sort of Harry Potter stuff. Of now, they're going to make a whole new film franchise based on something someone mentioned in a film. The Tobin Spirit Guide, man alive! You could do something with that. How badly did you want that book as a child? Absolutely. Well, I thought having a page a week was good. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. So yeah, so, so that was my main reason for loving Ghost Train was the uh, the real Ghostbusters um, cartoon series. So so 1988 that finished and they went over to a series. <laughs> That was the moment last night when we were recording that, unfortunately, Boo's internet failed on us. Uh, so rest assured, it'll be up and running for next week's show. And episode seven will continue that discussion of Saturday morning TV programmes. So all that's left for me to say is thank you very much to Dino Peppers for his artwork. Thank you, John Sands, for his marvellous music. Thank you to Jay for uh, his wonderful drop-ins. Always make me laugh. It's a, always a highlight of when I'm editing these things together. But chiefly, thank you to you, the listeners, the loyal milksters who download every week and stream us on iTunes. Uh, continue to do so. Follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, rate and review the podcast so we get more listeners and we can conquer the world um please let us know on the facebook page as we discussed uh, anything you remember about saturday morning kids tv stuff you'd like us to chit chat about it's very very easy if you want to come on board and ask us a few questions if you want to drop into the podcast and have a bit of a natter with myself or boo it's very very simple for us to do so continue have a good week and tug that teat you wanna milk it and you know you gotta milk it and you know Emma Forbes. Thank you.